<laughs> All right. We're live on my uh, Monero Talk with Mateus Tarasiewicz. Uh, I know I was going to butcher that name no matter what, but I gave it my best shot. Uh, we've been trying to get Mateus on for quite some time. I see. Mateus, are you frozen there? Are you good? I'm good. I'm good. I'm also okay. frozen, but I'm good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, just, so uh, I'm going to give a quick intro. So Mateus is, uh, is a writer, a technology theorist, a crypto anarchist. Uh, he's somebody I've met at various Monero events uh, throughout the world. Uh, very interesting guy. He is somebody that we've been wanting to get on the show for a very long time. Uh, he comes with a long-term perspective. So not somebody that uh, became a crypto anarchist after the fact, you know, uh, after Bitcoin succeeded, but somebody who was there uh, from the beginning, from the impetus before all this even became what it is today. He is the director of the Riot Institute, which is an independent institute working with future crypto economics, privacy technologies, and open hardware, uh, where they're researching and designing the future of decentralization. Uh, what else? Oh, he also started the Monero meetup in Austria uh, with Marcus, who I've also met at various events. I believe they started that a few years ago. We can get into that a little bit. And he is one of the organizers of the Chaos Communications Congress, which we definitely want to touch upon today. Uh, it's something Mateus is very excited about, and Monero will have um, a big showing there at the conference. So, Mateus, thanks for uh, coming on the show, man. Nice to be here. Glad to be here, finally. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess uh, before we get, because you, know, you have a large resume here, before we get into yeah. what you're currently working on, I would love to really kind of get an idea of your background and, you know, where you started off. Uh, you know, what was Mateus doing at age, you know, 18 or in his <laughs> mid 20s? What was he doing uh, way back when? Uh, yeah, it sounds so, like you're you're an old school crypto anarchist type. Yeah. So, I mean, I started, um, um, of course, um, being interested in like distributed systems and all of these things at a very early stage, but also I'm, I'm old, which means um, um, I lived in times when there was no, no real internet as we know it today. So um, for me, um, actually that I got um, basically touched by, by Bitcoin was through art. I was I have actually an art background and I have also an, uh, a computer science background, um, but I was, I'm also an artist, so I'm like not, not super active these days, but um, back in the days, um, um, I designed with a few colleagues um, the first Bitcoin-related art piece in 2011. We started to to um, work on that. It was not so much about Bitcoin, but about um, um, this kind of idea of that um, it's possible to to work with with value because value is um, very strange if you look at art pieces. Why do they get the specific worth or this? Where was art valued? How is it valued? And mm -hmm. the idea of this of this um, art piece was it was a very um, large mining rig that we put into museums. Um, it was first shown, I believe it was like in early 2012, uh, and it would only mine Bitcoins when uh, you would actually watch it. So the idea was actually to extract, uh, uh, to have this kind of absurd art piece that would have its own economics and economic logics, and which would be directly um, related to attention. So we installed that and also we, we mined some Bitcoins with that. No, was that, was that, 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 that's, uh, that seems very early on too in terms of kind of understanding the com concept of uh, you know, you are the product these days, right? So, Maybe. so literally, people, uh, you know, were getting essentially generating Bitcoin as their time was being harvested, as they were looking at a screen, is essentially what that art piece was doing. Um, no, you, you have to think of it of a, of a large room installation that was more of um, um, case modded fans that you would see this kind of blinking LED fans that people would actually use in their computers. 
mm-hmm. um, to mod them. Um, but it was like um, a pro- it was really large. So um, I would say like first um, version was around um, six meters by um, yeah. So in, in I don't know how, what that would relate to in terms of like US uh, uh, measurements. But it's like a you have to think of a room filled with this kind of blinking lights, and they, they would actually start the activity as soon as people would actually enter this specific area. But um, talking about that, um, um, for us, this started a lot of um, um, thoughts. So um, there have been a lot of people involved in, in, in creating that art piece and like extending on it. So we made like different versions on that. And then we started to think of, um, okay, what can we do with this, with this kind of coins? What is like happening now? What so was your, started, int- your understanding yeah. of crypto at that time, of Bitcoin at that time, when you guys developed this art piece? I mean, I was always into cryptography. I started, like, um, of, of course, at the, um, um, in the 90s to, to use, like, PGP and all the um, different um, cryptographic um, applications available at this time. Um, but also, um, um, I was part of um, several groups, so we were actively looking into breaking these kind of things and, like, um, investigating what is, like, possible and what not. I mean, we look, we're talking about the 90s, right, when, when the computers were really um, vulnerable, like hell. So we just recently in the 21st century um, saw this kind of like um, um, securing of the systems. In the 90s, like everything was basically open. Mm-hmm. So uh, and me having a background in as a um, programmer also, so I was always fascinated by these kind of um, systems. And um, especially, um, um, so my I would say my my knowledge at this time was was um, not really that Bitcoin related so much, but I was into the, I understood the cryptography and the basic principles of it. And I was a little bit in the beginning fascinated by these kind of properties that Bitcoin would actually give. And um, in this regard, um, what came out of this one art piece was um, a kind of a series that we did with different artists and economists, actually. So we started some, some uh, a series we exchanged and, and, and traded the, the Bitcoins for other goods and things. So in one piece together with the group Societaria List, we created um, an art piece, which was a room filled with $1 banknotes. Um, uh, which is was also an interesting experiment. So we tried to figure out in terms of storage of money, of the physical money. It's also fascinating. So we we, we ordered this kind of single dollar banknotes and we picked them up at the at the um, um, at the bank actually in Austria. And you can actually it was fascinating to us to see that you can order money. So you can say, okay, we want um, to have um, this amount of single dollar bills. And also the funny thing was the decision of why to take single dollar bill notes because um, the banks would not be really happy to store them. They, they have the, the largest um, cost in terms of um, storage capacity, so to say. So they, um, what we found out in this research was that um, banks are really unhappy or like, like um, these sorts of um, institutions are really unhappy if they have to store um, physical money that is below $1. So the dollar in this regard, the single dollar bill is a, is a kind of an iconic uh, or has a kind of a, a relevance in this context because it's, it's it's very expensive to store, so it's actually um, a way to critique the the system and to overthrow the institutions. Would be to to order a lot of single dollar bill notes, in my uh, opinion, <laughs> and convert them into Monero, of course. For example, yeah. yeah of <laughs> so that's that's interesting. So you're so when you first got involved, in, so that was your first touch with Bitcoin. Was the R project, I mean, or you, was, you you were already studying digital cash before that? You were familiar with um, yeah, sure, sure, like sure. the precursors to to Bitcoin. I mean, to be honest, I was of course also on the cypherpunks mailing list, so I, I saw even the the, um, the email from Satoshi with the um, with the executable. But I thought, okay, what's this bullshit? I won't open. Who who opens executables? Right, right, it was right. Like uh, sort of the binaries. So that's that happened. But I, I somehow um, um, read the, the the white paper much later. So okay, a year, a year later or something. 
And then, so when did it really hit home for you? So obviously you're working on this art project, you're understanding, uh, you know, you're kind of playing around with it in terms of uh, more of a hobby and looking at it uh, in a symbolically. At, at what point did you think, wow, this thing might actually have a chance to become something? I mean, I was uh, in a way working professionally in art at this time because we started just a lab in a university. So we, we started the artistic technology lab and this was one of the first pieces that we did and started some, some kind of artistic research series in this regards. But it, it, it of course instantly hit me. So I thought like, okay, this is something that, that could potentially change things here. And for me, my uh, journey in this regards continued. I started to look at the different forks of Bitcoin. So I, I wrote some a chapter for a book which was called um, The Handbook of Digital Currency in uh, 2014, um, which was looking, uh, I wrote a, a complete chapter with uh, my colleague Andrew Newman uh, about cryptocurrencies as distributed community experiments. So we looked at, uh, okay, how um, is this actually um, um, evolving? How is this whole ecosystem evolving in terms of um, um, what kind of, uh, how do you fix uh, ongoing problems that this uh, distributed and, 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 and immutable and unstoppable system creates? and, and um, I was fascinated that in a way um, uh, people started to critique not only the technological, but instantly, initially the technological aspects or technological shortcomings of Bitcoin, but in a larger scope, in a way, they started to also experience uh, and experiment with different value systems, like different economic experiments. So um, I call that in a way the golden age of altcoins because this whole um, era was in a way also stopped by um, the introduction of the, of the ERC-20 token. So Ethereum somehow stopped this, this kind of, in my opinion, very, very um, 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 radical and, and, and very hobbyist, let's call it in a way, um, um, experimentation with, um, with, with alternative, um, alternatives to that. You think so, Ethereum stopped that? Well, didn't, didn't I mean, that offer didn't like a, an easier way to, to spin yeah. up? It did, but but because of that, people had not to think so much uh, anymore about the technical uh, technical limitations. So it was um, more about okay, you have a token, and 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 how does the value get into existence? How how does the value emerge? Um, in my opinion, in, uh, with an altcoin, um, that would be like initially um, just a, a fork of the Bitcoin code base. You would have to think, uh, okay, um, how do I distribute my my network now? How how do I create this kind of network? How do I make sure that there's no fifty one percent attack? or they make sure and there's enough people uh, incentivized to, to run the network and so on. So I think that was largely stopped by Ethereum, of course, also because um, um, in, in a way you are shifting the, the, the whole network properties to Ethereum itself. So as, as long as the Ethereum network works, your token will also be in existence, so mm -hmm. to say. So, yeah, I, I tried finding that paper. Um, I found the abstract, but yeah, I would definitely love yeah. to read that chapter. Uh, so... Well, even just reading the abstract, so a lot of the, so you were kind of talking about the, the the flaws of Bitcoin that were starting to be revealed at that time. Uh, obviously, the fact that it's not uh, you know anonymous on the protocol level, and there being some scaling issues, things like that. Uh, the centralization of the tendency for mining to centralize. Um, when I read that, I started to think, oh, Monero. So it was Monero discussed in that because that seemed it was that considered one of your second generation cryptos at that time, or were you not yet? Uh, looking at Monero. Actually, yeah, I was actually looking at Monero at this time. So I was writing about uh, about two um, interesting, to me, interesting developments in this in this sphere that could potentially be interesting in a few years after that. And um, I was um, at this time talking about Monero. And the second thing that I was actually fascinated by was Ethereum because you have this kind of state, um, uh, um, this kind of um, huge state machine. It's very slow computer. It is a decentralized uh, computational engine. 
So these things were fascinating to me at this time, both were like in, in, in its infancy, so to say. Uh, but um, in a way, um, um, this is how I came actually across Monero through this kind of research. And, and for me, this, this started to be um, an interesting journey since, <laughs> to say the least. Now, is that when was Riot started? Because that's that's basically an institution for researching cryptocurrencies. So, was that started at this time when you wrote that paper? Um, yeah, it was um, technically started before, but it was called different uh, differently. So, there was an, an art group um, that was in existence that was called Artistic Bokeh. So, which is the um, in a way the quality of the of the of the sharpness of a photography, so to say. So, we, we were working with all these kind of experiments that I just outlined. Uh, under the umbrella of this of this art group, which was um, a lot of people have been participating, so it's, a, it's kind of half anonym, anonymous group, I would say. Like um, I'm one of the people who is like uh, visible, but there's like um, a lot of other people that contributed to the time. And um, uh, in a way, um, this led to um, because we we got into to um, um, centralization issues with universities, so we started the Riot Institute more of a kind of a need to um, be able to control the research, but also the research funding that is like um, um, in existence in this, in this world, a little bit more um, on the level of the researchers. So in order to criticize also like how univers universities and the, the statists work in a way. And um, so it was actually founded in a way um, from researchers for researchers. So that's in, in infrastructure and, 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 and kind of to also look at this fringe, uh, this fringe research elements which wouldn't be initially maybe taught or, or researched in the university, such as um, um, cryptocurrency at this time, or um, artistic research, or all these kind of fringe uh, research cultures. Mm -hmm. Do you think, I mean, I guess it's kind of an obvious uh, question, Was is Monero a second generation crypto? Was it, was it invented uh, in reaction to the shortcomings that you see in Bitcoin? I mean, yes, I would say it was invented to, uh, um, um, to address these shortcomings. Um, of course, like there was a lot of um, technological changes that um, um, have been uh, put also. I mean, it's um, in a way, it's a completely from ground up rewritten different system. So it's not technically, it's not an altcoin, which is like just a fork of Bitcoin because it has been like rewritten and it's like very, very different. It has a lot of different properties also. And um, so it's a good question. But I would say, like, it wouldn't um, um, qualify as this very old, this very old term of altcoins, you know, where, where you say, okay, this is, has to be a code fork of Bitcoin, because technically, mm -hmm. it is it is an entirely different code base, which at this time makes it also so hard um, to be implemented in different uh, uh, hardware and exchanges and so on. So this is this is one of the reasons why we don't see Monero everywhere yet. Mm -hmm. And what's your opinion there? Do you think that comes with time? Do you think that's going to be difficult for Monero to achieve? You mean adoption, total adoption in a way? Yeah. I think it will come with time. I mean, um, uh, which, uh, I mean, one basic element which, which um, somehow still is, is fascinating and not so many people see that is, is of course, um, uh, the privacy aspect that um, is totally lacking in Bitcoin. And um, although like um, we see that Bitcoin was in the beginning uh, a lot used in, in darknet markets and so on, still um, is, is absolutely traceable. So this is like one aspect I think where, where um, always like Monero is, 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 is um, mentioned on which regard Monero is mentioned. Um, but I mean, also like looking at the recent developments and we um, will have a, um, um, a, a protocol upgrade soon where we see a very interesting uh, um, new development. So this kind of ASIC resistance is in my opinion also super interesting uh, thing from a research perspective to, to look at, also from a game theoretical perspective to look at. And in a, in a way, um, I don't know, of course you have to, like you've also read the, the, 
um, uh, Satoshi white paper, right? So yeah. Satoshi always talks about this um, this kind of idea of the one CPU, one vote system, mm -hmm. which um, in the end was totally undermined by the arms race that was introduced by the um, through like the availability of FPGAs and ASIC mining and so on. Mm -hmm. And and um, I mean it's not so questioned these days, but there, there has been a time in the very early uh, age of Bitcoin where. Um, um, there was a lot of discussion on Bitcoin talk about like, um, okay, um, is this a good thing or not? It was a, a good thing as long as the hobbies, so like the, 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 the miners at home could actually still produce coins. But um, if we look now at like who's, who is basically securing the, the, these large networks, and it's, I mean, it's not only Bitcoin, but like larger Bitcoin networks is mainly run, uh, it's, there's a huge centralization happening. And yeah. this is like one thing which I find like extremely interesting um, um, with Monero that um, there's attempts to have ASIC resistance, so it's it's in a way a very re resistant <laughs> or like like uh, currency which which questions things or which criticizes things. That's that's what I like about it. Yeah, uh, what I find wild is the you know the Bitcoin Maximus so unwilling to even kind of welcome the experimentation. They just think uh, concretely that you know Bitcoin the way being it is, especially in terms of things like ASIC mining, uh, is the way things need to be. And it just seems kind of outlandish to me when you step back and you look at it. So you don't really have to know anything about crypto. But I mean, it's it's very obvious, very easy to see that mining is tending to become more centralized than Bitcoin. And to kind mm -hmm. of sit there and argue otherwise uh, is is quite shocking to me. I mean, there's, there's good arguments that are being made, uh, which is kind of scary because I feel like uh, some kind of you know misinformation gets out there, but at, but at the at the very least, I feel like experimentation is obviously a good thing. So is is that your? I, I get the feeling that's your take too. You're all about kind of experimenting with these things and uh, realizing that the cake isn't fully baked yet. Um, you can slowly you know iterate, keep keep trying a new recipe. Uh, obviously, eventually we want to get to the point where we have you know kind of one protocol that everybody is opting into. But do you still think we're in the experimentation phase? Uh, in general, I would say definitely. Also, if you look at um, um, what's out there currently, and I mean, Monero is the best example. We see a lot of um, um, new developments or like really fascinating uh, pieces of code uh, um, makes it into Monero code base like faster than in a lot of other code bases. So if we look, for example, at Bulletproofs, was, uh, Monero was, was, had the first implementation, due to my knowledge. Mm -hmm. So um, um, I, know, I think this is important that, um, and I think experimentation is a crucial factor that um, we can learn. Uh, I mean, there will never be this kind of final technology, right? That we can use. I think this has, we have to think of um, um, how to evolve this kind of decentralized systems. And also Monero will change a lot. I mean, currently it's like changing at least uh, every half year, so to say. And right. um, I think there's like, um, uh, um, I don't think that every Bitcoin or like every Bitcoin maximalist is, is, is also agreeing that there's um, no need for, for, for different chains and for mm -hmm. experimentation. So, for example, um, um, I've been talking with Andreas Antonopoulos, I made an interview with him, and he was um, um, very positively noting or like talking about Monero. And, and I mean, that the, the privacy, it's, it's interesting because in the end, like the resolution then is okay, this will all make it into the Bitcoin code somehow. But mm -hmm. I think like the like to fix Bitcoin from a privacy perspective is 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 like on on, on a protocol level won't happen, for example. Mm -hmm. So we will always have like um, second layer solutions um, that will touch this topic. Um, um, in in a way, though, a lot of people I think are not um, are understanding the need also of this kind of um, extended experimentation. I mean, it will also benefit Bitcoin in the end. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we had him on the show, which obviously was, you know, dream come true. Uh, and yeah, I read your article when you gave me that newspaper last year. Nice, nice. Um, which, I, you know, I saved this newspaper. beautiful uh, uh, magazine that you printed. There, Thank you, yeah. Uh, any more of those coming out? Uh, yes, um, hopefully very soon. We, we just had some, some pragmatic um, um, issues not... Uh, um, printing the next one, so our um, original printing uh, house where we printed it's actually a newspaper print, so you need this kind of rotary print. Yeah, you're saying machines. you used like vintage German machines or something, yes, right? Yes, yes. So the, um, it was um, not possible to print at the same uh, um, place any anymore where we printed this, but we are aiming for a uh, um, next issue which will be focused around open hardware. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of interviews with different projects that are focusing on on open source hardware because this is also a, a strong background of mine where I'm is- interested in. Uh, right. And uh, we have the next issue. We'll, um, we thought about that we could possibly make it at the 36 C3, but um, it will be um, released uh, on the Open Source Hardware Summit in March 13 on, uh, in New York. Okay. The next issue. And I'm so sure at the, at the MoneroCon, um, hopefully you'll be there as uh, well. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Hope 100% I will be there. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm hoping totally looking sh- forward. I saw somebody posted uh, Guadalajara, Mexico, and I had <laughs> tweeted that as well because I just got back from there. I think it's a great spot. That would be, I don't know about nice. you, but that, that, that would be a top pick. Yeah, I think it was uh, my Monero uh, tweeted that out. Very um, nice. Um, so, yeah, I was, was surprised, though, with obviously, you know, tons of respect for Andreas. He was, you know, the reason I was able to understand Bitcoin uh, at the, you know, when I initially got into it. In those, you know, he made it very digestible, broke it down at a time when not really anybody could explain this stuff. And he was able to understand, uh, you know, the value proposition of, of crypto. But then what, what bothered me, and I tried to drill him down in this interview, was kind of the hypocrisy of understanding what that value proposition is and realizing that Bitcoin isn't truly living up to it. Uh, and that there's other technologies that might be better. And like you said, he's op- obviously open to experimenting, but I was a little surprised he didn't know like a lot of basic facts about Monero. And his argument was, you know, I only have so much time in the day and I can only focus on so many things. So, you know, can't blame him for that. He's mm-hmm. obviously doing a stellar job at what he does and what he does focus on. But things like uh, knowing that uh, Monero already has adopted uh, ring confidential transactions, uh, knowing that Monero has a tail emission, uh, you know, and it's disinflationary. Um, things like that, which I was kind of surprised. Oh, and then even random X, you know, he knew that Monero had kind of this ethos of trying to avoid a six, but he wasn't aware of the most recent technological development, random X, which I found a little surprising considering all those things, uh, very much align with the ideals of what he describes as being the value proposition of Bitcoin. You know, they, they all, you know, help create a better form of digital cash. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a little surprising to me, but I guess it's as simple as people only have so much time in the day. Yeah, we have to educate. <laughs> and also, it, I, I guess if you're like nonstop like representing, you cannot uh, um, do your research. So yeah. that's, that, that's, of course, also a problem. I mean, this is something that we, we have to somehow um, um, constantly learn, constantly evolve. It's, I guess, very hard if you're like uh, representing the whole thing. Yeah. But this I mean, is why, why, why you were talking to him. No, this is like very good. So good, well, yeah, yeah, no, well this, done. <laughs> this is a good start. I mean, I'm certainly in a bubble. I like to say that I'm, you know, a digital cash maximalist and not a Monero mm-hmm. maximalist. But the truth is I study Monero more than anything else. And, you know, then I look at anything else that comes up. Obviously, Zcash has some development. I'm going to look at it. You know, if Grin has something, I'm going to take a look. Uh, and, I, and I tried to say I'm open-minded and willing to uh, believe that something better has come along. But, you know, we're all, we all, it's, it's hard to be uh, unbiased, obviously, especially when there's dollars and cents involved. So, sure. do, so are you, 
Have you managed, do you think you've managed to stay unbiased pretty well? I mean, I feel like you really have that researcher tint. Uh, a lot of people in the Monero community do, which is another thing that's attracted me to it. Like I said, we try to have that ethos here. Um, do you feel like you've held up to that? Are you, or are you in your own bubble of sorts? I mean, I'm, I would say I'm, of course, also in my bubble. It would be stupid to say otherwise, because um, um, as you said, there's only a limited amount of time. And of course, I don't know about every project out there. But I mean, also very good that you mentioned cash, because I think on the cash level, um, um, there's not so many uh, projects out there which really make sense and do make sense in this, uh, this kind of um, 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 digital cash maximalism, <laughs> so to say. So um, I, I would say um, Monero, like from a cash perspective, there's very little projects such as Monero. And I mean, Monero, of course, is uh, um, having all other properties that, that I truly stand for is like, is like um, un, unchallenged, so to say. But um, there's a lot of other, if, if you look, if you zoom out a little bit and not look only at the cash or the, the, the payment um, um, properties of blockchain, there's of course a lot of other interesting projects out there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, if you, if you had to kind of write that paper again today, because I think you wrote that paper back in 2015, mm -hmm. uh, if you were to write it again today, obviously you'd have to sit down and think about this, but uh, what, do you, what, do you, what are the types of things you'd think you'd be talking about today in terms of uh, where the, you know, kind of same article, but written today? Uh, mm -hmm. Kind of looking at the landscape of cryptocurrencies and where we are, and what things are doing things well, and sure. I mean, a lot of things changed and happened. So, um, looking at, um, I, I think a lot of people were also disappointed by a lot of um, developments that happened. So there was a lot of promise in this whole field and sphere, and um, a lot of um, things um, somehow didn't work out how they how they should have or like how they were intended. So, um, in my opinion, um, there's a lot of um, in interesting, uh, to say the least, developments in the last uh, years that that uh, would have been to be taken into account. Let's say, for I mean, this was a very easy and over overseeable situation that in 2015, like compared to now. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's really interesting, in my opinion, to see which kind of projects um, which were um, existing back in 2015 are still in existence now. So, um, for example, I'm really always fascinated to see that Namecoin is a very very amazing project still and very active. It was the first um, uh, fork of Bitcoin. And they're also actually, um, um, they will be with us. So Namecoin is, a, is also at the 36C3. They are um, actually um, a part of the Monero assembly, actually. At 36C3. Really? So yeah, it's really a nice uh, 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 project. And it's, uh, it, it's, are they still making progress? I know they were one of kind of the like, respected they projects. They do, actually. They do. I think it's a very good solution still. I mean, I'm not so sure how many projects build upon it, but um, I'm like, um, I was thinking of a few uh, use cases where it, where it would be like really fascinating to use Namecoin. Um, mm -hmm. um, I, I think these, these kind of products that, that existed for this long are really, um, there needs to be some shout out for, the, for that. It's really fascinating to me. So, yeah. but, but we have to talk with, uh, I mean, I'm super in, in, interested. We have to talk with them and see what they're up to. Like I'm really happy to, to, to understand what, um, what they have been up in the, in, in the past years. I think there's like so many use cases where you could use that. For example, um, I mean, there was recently this, um, this kind of situation with the, with the, um, um, with the wrong binary checksums on, on, on the GapMonero website. We, we, I think it was a few days ago or something, two days ago. Remember that? And this is like the, um, a big discussion right now about like, okay, um, are we really checking our binaries and what kind of um, code are we running on our, um, computers. So I think what would be like, for example, a very good use case for Namecoin would be to have some kind of um, distributed um, um, 
checksum database, like some SHA-1 uh, database where you could actually verify not only um, like a lot of um, binaries or like um, different code you would usually run without questioning it. So some kind of distributed binary database incentivized would be like amazing to do with Namecon, for example. So I would love somebody setting that up because I would think that would help uh, in the end. Um, a lot of users which are not checking that initially. I think I'm, uh, so, so when I was talking with Andreas and Lopez, I was also talking about these kind of things and I was, um, I'm actually also asking about Monero. So he knew a little bit about Monero, uh -huh. but um, what was interesting um, uh, to hear is he was mentioning that um, and this is, it's a, actually a nice project, but um, he thinks like HTTPS is more relevant because more people use it. And I mean, he, he's correct in this regards because of, um, mm -hmm. In, in mass adoption, we have it's 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 more relevant, but but uh, I mean, looking at the cache aspect, then of course uh, he's he's not correct with that. But um, I think um, that there needs to be like more privacy and even technologies available to them to, to everyone, and this is a big problem I think we are facing these days. Uh, if you're looking at uh, hardware or software, or all sorts of our stack, we have a lot of problems, in my opinion, where we're not questioning anymore the authenticity of things, and when um, and this is something. Which is, I'm not so sure if this is a, is a kind of a blockchain solvable problem or something. It's a, it's more of a, of a general condition that we are in. This is not so easy to to exit anymore. So we gave up a lot of freedom, a lot of privacy in the past years, in my opinion. And I think yeah. like Monero is like one one super important element to 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 regain our privacy. But there's also like other other steps to take and other projects to look at. So what what do you think the future looks like then in terms of crypto? And then I want to ask you in terms of the the general this mm -hmm. general technology space as well, like you said, where there's kind of this uh, battle that's taking place, um, you know, kind of uh, the dystopian future of where everybody's on, you know, online using these siren servers like Facebook and Google and all their data is being exploited. And then there's the other scenario where technologies like cryptocurrency and open hardware uh, fight back and kind of give people liberation in the digital age. Mm -hmm. So what do you see as being the future for crypto and for kind of open source hardware and software in general? I know that's a lot, but like, what, what is yeah. your vision? What do you, what do you think about when you, when you picture the future of where we're currently at now and where we're headed with these new technologies? I mean, it's certainly exciting mm -hmm. that things like crypto exist and Bitcoin exist. Uh, I imagine if I would have asked you this question you know, 11 years ago, you had been like, you know, we're all screwed. You know, uh, yeah, everybody's yeah. going to be tracked for the rest of their lives and there, there's really nothing we can do about it. Uh, so what, what do you currently see as being the future, given what we know today? I mean, still, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a very dystopic future from the perspective of today. And uh, I mean, also, it's, it's, uh, Bitcoin didn't really help us here. So Bitcoin made, made the world more transparent, at least from the uh, payment perspective. There's a, there's, it's, it's very easy to to be traced, of course, and um, it's a problem. It's a question if we can regain that because the, it's it's so deeply um, um, it's like everywhere and very easy and very very uh, cheap to to surveil or to get data. And I mean, there's like a lot of um, um, it's 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 also a huge market also. So so having um, a consumer data or like um, being able to access another person's uh, wallet is actually instantly converting to to um, it has economic upsides, to, so it's actually a market. So the, the question is also, um, uh, I mean, like people who know and are interested in, in technology should be able to defend themselves, right? And this is getting much more complicated these days. So um, in my opinion, the, the, 
the knowledge you need to really stay anonymous or to to somehow not be traced is is kind of kind of has to be kind of high. So they have to know a lot of things, and you need to know a lot about technology. And I think, especially uh, looking at hardware and like how um, devices progressed in the past years, let's say in the past twenty years, um, or even like looking back at the microcomputers, this this is a um, in a way a very um, uh, um, strange situation we are uh, living in these days. So, for example, to look at the iPhone, yeah. So you cannot even repair these devices anymore. You cannot take out the battery and just replace the battery. So there's this kind of, um, 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 in in a way, this way how the users are, are being um, um, extracted from the product. You don't know what's actually happening there. So you can get some completely different hardware. You don't even know what is what is working around you in terms of hardware. Um, what, what's what's happening uh, around you? So I guess this is the biggest problem that I'm seeing. So that people are losing this, this um, repair knowledge. So you don't know how to how to operate. You, you know possibly how to operate these devices around you, but you don't know how to repair them. So you don't know which which kind of hardware is actually used. And this is, in my opinion, or is it largely because of the microcomputing revolution, which did a lot of good things. For example, so the microcomputing revolution. To explain a bit what that was, I mean, I guess everyone that um, is on this podcast now knows it. But we had like the availability of this. Um, 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 a cheap available computers that could do um, computational um, things at home, right? So was it, we're talking about the 70s here. Uh, and um, for example, to give the example of the Apple One and Apple Two. So the Apple Two was um, sold as a as a um, as a kind of a, um, a kit. So you would you would get some parts and you would um, create your own computer in a way. But the Apple Two, it, it wasn't really that successful. But the Apple Two was coming pre-fabricated. Um, uh, yeah? So we would get this kind of box, which is like. The black box, it was not black, but you get what I mean. And so basically you're losing this kind of um, knowledge about what's actually in there because you don't open it. It's just, okay, that's the box. So, mm -hmm. so enthusiasts, of course, open it, but, but it wouldn't be like not everyone opens it anymore. So this is an interesting shift and this, this, this degraded from, from the years uh, and, and years that basically you don't know anymore if there's a microcomputer in your devices. There's microcomputers used everywhere. So it's fascinating to see. Um, also, uh, what they could do. So, the, if we look at the Snowden leaks, so like um, all sorts of like leaked docu documents, um, uh, um, like su surveillance is actually um, is is happening already. Um, backdoors are built into the um, CPUs, into modern day C CPUs, and and at least there is the potential to do it. It's, I'm not saying that it's like happening everywhere, and it's uh, um, in a, in a way, um, of course, also an economic question. So the only security we have is an economic security in a way that we know, okay, it's. Um, I can calculate my threat level, and I can say, okay, it's not really paying off for an adversary to, to, um, to, to ice peak on, 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 on my things I'm doing online or the things I'm buying or so on. But mm -hmm. it's like, um, I, I think to get out of there is like really uh, tough because it's, a, it's more of a, um, a question that doesn't affect only like enthusiasts or, little, or a small amount of people, but it affects a lot of people with different knowledge. So there's a lot of information asymmetries also there. So how do mm -hmm. we get everyone to know what's actually going on? Mm -hmm. Also, how, how do we know that this, this information is correct that we have about this device? So about about any of the things of that matter, even do, how can we prove that specific surveillance is like taking place or not? I mean, a lot of these things have been proved, but I think this is the, this is a very problematic starting point. No? So mm -hmm. where do we go from there? But I think there is a few options where we can at least um, also with Monero as one of the in the arsenal, so to say, like we can do a lot of like um, other. Um, um, we can attempt at least to regain a little privacy or we can um, mm -hmm. try it. Yeah, what, what, what I think is so exciting about 
crypto and you know what Bitcoin really invented as part of its value proposition was the incentive structure. Um, mm -hmm. So just this uh, giving people a reason to bootstrap it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, digital cash is great. Uh, in theory, you know, I don't want people knowing my every purchase, whatever, I can really care less. But now when they're, you know, obviously, there's those the crypto anarchists that really understand the importance of that. And they're willing to work for free and do whatever it takes to make that a reality. But they also happen to become uh, filthy rich along the way because of the way it's bootstrapped. So kind of funding itself, and driving in people that wouldn't have otherwise cared about technology like this now had a reason, even if just purely for speculative purposes. Um, so I think that's kind of a very interesting solution that nobody really mm -hmm. expected and really is the only way conceivably that that a solution like this would come about. So I think crypto is kind of the answer there uh, to giving that incentive structure to people. What scares me, though, is Bitcoin, while it invented this, uh, if it does work out as as fully planned, the end of the day, the whole entire world is going to be transacting on what's ultimately a completely transparent ledger where every transaction is seen and stored for eternity. So it's great that, you know, it's ushering in this new technology. Uh, it's giving people the incentive to uh, open source develop this, uh, you know, uh, protocol that the whole world can use to transact value. But if, you know, if we choose the wrong protocol, uh, it may be a big problem. So that's that's where I, you know, obviously hope that something like Monero steps in and becomes, you know, the younger brother, uh, Bitcoin being the, the major on ramp. But then as people realizing and, you know, Bitcoin would have that same incentive structure, you know, uh, at the end of the day, if people think it's going to be worth a lot more, if they envision a future where most people want their value to be private then maybe they would start buying Monero, even if ultimately they don't care, because maybe we'll see more value in that. Do you have any opinion there? Sure, yeah. Uh, when you're saying in, uh, it's an incentive structure, because of course it's incentives have, have existed before on Bitcoin, but um, 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 if, if we look at the peer-to-peer -peer networks, um, um, the problem, of course, was always this kind of tragedy of the commons. Hmm. So there's always, in, in crypto economics, you have always this example of, um, okay, um, BitTorrent, and you would actually um, um, download a file, and then after the file, after you got the file, you wouldn't seed it because there's no incentive to do so. Mm -hmm. So this is like always a, a, a kind of an application in peer-to-peer where, where, where you have this kind of incentive. But um, in my opinion, this incentive um, um, structure of Bitcoin is not valid anymore because um, you have no chance to create a to, to mine a Bitcoin anymore. So it's it's in a way. Um, um, interesting because all these systems also change over time. I, I guess it's the same with Monero, though. It's like with with, with every system that, that that runs, it's like very complicated to to, to observe. Because um, you have these kind of ideal situations where you can calculate all these things, um, and where you can think of okay, in, in game theory this should happen, and this is the um, um, here we have different um, approaches how to observe what's actually happening. But it's, it's it's never this kind of pristine and clear situation that you will find yourself into. So like mm -hmm. as, as, especially in crypto. Uh, and when we're saying crypto, uh, I think we, we, we mean like digital cash or like uh, distributed systems and blockchains, um, because there's also the the, the the market. There's like specific um, um, incentives to or, or adversaries that would actually benefit even from from the price tanking, while other people wouldn't see that kind of opportunity or, or couldn't couldn't uh, capitalize on it. So it's like so many different um, kind of um, um, people to look or, or, or groups of. Um, 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 uh, different types of people using the systems. It's like um, um, interesting. I'm um, talking about incentives. What are specific incentives to use it? Of course, it's um, um, digital transactions um, or, or specific um, um, 
um, properties which were not uh, able to be done before are possible now that we have like decentralized systems and incentivized decentralized systems. Mm -hmm. But at, at the same time, I think um, especially uh, in Monero, um, and this is what I like about it also, it's like uh, about the, the whole culture and community around Monero, it's like these things are actively debated. Well, I mm -hmm. think it's like um, a problem if you have a, like absolute um, adoption of a specific one currency, you cannot even debate these things so much anymore because they, 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 um, so basically um, we have to look at what, what is actually possible in terms of experimentation once uh, we would have this kind of one true currency uh, how, how you framed it Mark, because I think it's like hard if we have like only um, one uh, true decentralized system that works um, you would immediately need this other little brothers or sisters or systems to, to, to test adoption or to test the market or, or to use them differently you know Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I know. I would certainly be excited about a world where you know Monero is as widely used as Bitcoin. That's that sounds more like the cypherpunk dream, and I I do align with the philosophies behind uh, what they were originally trying to do. You brought up Edward Snowden, who obviously I guess would also call himself a crypto anarchist or a cypherpunk. I I uh, read his book or read most of it on the plane the other day. I haven't finished it yet, um, and in reading it, obviously. You know, he uh, he describes himself as being more of a systems guy than anybody else. So somebody that kind of really understands systems, and that was like really what his skill set was. Um, and because of that, he was able to really kind of see the this dystopian version of what the NSA might be doing if they put all the pieces together. And uh, ultimately, that's what he was scared about. So. Uh, I don't know if you have any opinion here, but it's, it's one of those things where obviously I would love to have him on the show. But why isn't he more excited about a technology like Monero? Is it just that he's just not in the place to say like we've seen him say things about Zcash. But for a guy who really understands systems, I mean, obviously, he's more highly technical than I am. I don't really see what I'm missing here. I mean, Zcash trusted setup. It's like backdoor 101, like the, just the potential you know, that it may have a backdoor is just kind of makes it if you're if you're in that sector, you're going to just throw that away as being uh, a non-starter. Uh, the fact that it, that the privacy is opt-in. Uh, I understand it's using some higher technology in terms of the actual obfuscation of amounts, um, essentially a larger anonymity set. But I feel like those other things greatly outweigh that. I wonder why somebody like Edward Snowden, who understands better than anyone uh, what the dystopian version might be and why it's so immediate and important that we uh, try to, you know, uh, Thwart that. Not not saying I, I totally agree with you know his actions, but obviously I agree with the philosophies he's proposing. What what's your opinion? Do you have an opinion there on on why is it Edward Snowden talking about Monero? I think you should actually interview him. I think this this is this. I would love to see that on your show. Actually, uh, you should. Uh, is he giving interviews these days? I think he would actually. That was, I, I would love uh, hearing you actually ask Snowden exactly these questions. It would be amazing. <laughs> really, I mean, I, I I don't know him personally, and I yeah. don't know. Uh, what he's up to, and if he's possibly other trouble these days or something. Yeah. But I, I, I guess it would be really a good show. You should interview him definitely. All right. So we have we have to go direct to the source. <laughs> I just want to see if you had any opinion there as to why he may uh, be overlooking. I don't know, no. Yeah. No. Not not really. No. <laughs> so you don't hang out with Snowden? No. Kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let's switch to talk a little bit more about the hardware because I know that's yeah. something that uh, obviously is near and dear to you. You did your last last talk on that. Um, what is open source hardware? Mm -hmm. I know you kind of mentioned it already a little bit, but is it is it something that could actually even achievable? Could we one day have 
you know, an open uh, open source hardware cell phone, smartphone, like Prism is trying to do, or a uh, perfectly open source, open hardware, uh, hardware wallet. Uh, are these things actually achievable? Yeah, in my opinion, they are achievable. And we really did a lot of things and we saw a lot of things happening in the, in the, in the years. So um, the open source hardware movement um, is relatively young. And um, I'm also um, part of the Open Source Hardware Association. So I'm in the board of the Open Source Hardware Association. It's a 501c3 in the US, and we are fostering um, the adoption of open hardware and trying to explain why it's uh, needed. So in my opinion, um, it's very important to have open source hardware, firstly, for people who are also creating hardware, because they can learn about, okay, how can I um, design hardware? They can learn in the same way that they can learn when they have access to open source software because they get a lot of information that they wouldn't usually get, which is usually protected by intellectual property rights, or which is not available, let's say. So um, still um, looking at the open hardware movement, um, it started around a few interesting things because hardware is very different than open, uh, like uh, very different than, than, than software. So open source hardware faces totally different issues that you don't have with with um, with uh, with software so also what are you open sourcing in this regard so um what uh, in, in the open source other sense is open source is usually the schematics for example the bills of materials everything that you can open source actually and what uh, another person would actually uh, um, that is designing or wants to validate or verify the specific piece of hardware um, might need to do that um, at the same time you're facing also issues because um a lot of components are not open by definition so let's say macro controllers or, or MCUs or any any um, specific chips can are usually not open. So you, that, that means you don't know what's actually happening inside them. So although um, there's a lot of, um, for example, the Arduino is a very good example of an, of an open source hardware board. So um, basically um, it can also be copied. There's a lot of knockoffs of it. So um, actually how people usually um, secure their invention in terms of like open hardware is through, um, through um, the the, the, yeah, but um, in open source hardware, you would have a, um, a trademark, and, and the Arduino trademark is basically the, the 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 brand name you cannot use on if you want to make a knock create a knockoff, but you could actually reproduce a specific piece of hardware. So um, open source hardware in these regards is first firstly interesting for people who are also into producing hardware, but then mm -hmm. at the same time, like looking into um, what I said before regarding um, and this kind of device literacy or like knowing the devices around you. Of course, it helps to learn how these um, uh, hardware elements and how these um, uh, specific devices are, uh, are built. So um, as soon as we have access to this information, then we can learn more about them. Um, um, here's where the movement gets a little bit um, complicated because there's, um, on the one hand, um, a lot of people open sourcing uh, material for the educational purpose. And um, at the same time, a lot of the components are not really verifiable. You don't know what's ha happening because there's a lot of um, um, patents uh, in there. Best example being like, for example, um, uh, microcontrollers Intel. or Intel mm -hmm. or some, some existing CPUs and so on. You cannot really, you don't know what's going on. So one direction, uh, what is this possibly resolved in the future is open silicon. So it's like um, um, a way also, um, so risk five being one example. So there's a lot of attempts to, to solve this, this last mile, so to say, for, for open source hardware. But um, what, would, what think, would be the incentive structure there to uh, develop open source? I mean, in so the well. end, the open source, the, it's, the incentive structure in this regard would be, um, for example, um, manufacturers of, of large quantities of existing hardware would be interested to um, be able to produce uh, um, royalty-free um, elements, 
let's say uh, Western Digital is super interested in not paying a specific amount of oil per um, unit they are developing in for the uh, um, for a specific component uh, producer that they have to always pay royalties. It's a lot of like like the per unit price is very high, mm. and if it's like open source hardware, you can actually um, uh, make sure you have your own fab and you can or you can control the the production however you want it. You can uh, basically the, the the market is also larger where these things are manufactured because you can actually. Uh, so, so, so different um, fabs are in competition with each with each other. Um, in my opinion, this this whole um, open hardware movement is a super interesting one. I'm I'm very active in this since um, around 2010, I would say, like maybe a little bit longer actually. And um, um, but being into hardware, like since I'm a kid, so I was like soldering a lot, and so it was always fascinating to me. And um, of course, um, there was a lot of um, these kind of um, um, developments made around the 3D printer, for example. So I mean, it's now a marketed product, but um, it's interesting to see that it was also um, a very large movement around the wrap wrap 3D replicating, self-replicating printer, so to say. And um, I'm, I'm, since a very long time, really fascinated by this kind of community efforts, and I'm really fascinated of what, what can be done and achieved through community. Uh, and this is very strong in open hardware because um, people can actually learn from the developments. People can build upon the developments. They can extend it. They can modify it without paying this kind of royalties. I mean, if you look at the current um, hardware that we have around us, if you open it, you're even uh, um, voiding the, bar the, 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 the warranty for it. But with open source hardware, these things um, in the first layer, at least touching at least um, enthusiasts or people who, who would want to learn about it. At the same time, um, it's also limited because you cannot open source everything. And as I said, like um, all these kind of patents prohibit open sourcing everything. Um, ideally, um, and uh, I worked with a with a, um, a long time with a with a project. Still, I'm a little bit active, but not as much as I would have, uh, would want. Is the Apertus open source cinema camera? So this was a really large open source hardware project that we worked on, um, um, also in our lab, and um, but also it's a it's a it's a group and community now 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 working partly on, on like mainly on this. And um, interesting thing there was: um, is it possible? Or the question was like: can we really open source a complete? fully functional um, um, camera, which means like a photographic and, 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 and a film camera. And where would we start and like how, how is it actually possible? And there, there was a, a, a bunch of people that like started um, uh, starting to 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 fork the, um, the Elfel camera. It's actually the camera that you see in use at the Google Street uh, View cars that are going around and this, this kind of um, so Elfel camera. So they started to fork it and like work on it. So it was already op available as open hardware. But it had like a very bad resolution. So people started around that to really um, completely redesign um, a camera that is like modular and, and, and fully open hardware. I mean, not fully, because here's the interesting part. A lot of things you will never be able to produce yourself. In this specific regard was the, um, the, the sensor itself. So the sensor is not, you don't know everything about the sensor. So one tricky part of, of this whole development of a product in open hardware is to talk to the manufacturers and, and, and ask them to... Um, to let you um, to, to pass on information because you have to always um, sign NDAs and you, you will not be able to pass on a lot of information to the community using your hardware. So in this regard, it was very important um, to talk with the manufacturers and then uh, eventually like having them understand that it's also a benefit for them because more people would buy their sensors. So I guess it's like it's like um, a lot of um, as as we have with uh, Monero and as you said before with all these technologies which are. Of course, um, uh, often better than what we have around us. Um, it's a lot of um, um, uh, you have to, to 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 tell people. It's a lot of education that needs to be happening. It's a lot of um, um, 
um, also lobbying that needs to happen that um, that people understand that this, this is also necessary that people understand the value of it in my opinion mm-hmm. this is um, this is what's fascinating me about open hardware and I'm strongly also involved in a lot of um, different projects it's it's fascinating because nobody really found the perfect business model for open hardware project yet I mean it's a, it's a largely debated topic but um, there's a lot of debate around it. Mm-hmm. It does seem like like crypto will once again at least play some role there. I mean, uh, like the examples you gave of the camera, uh, very cool. I guess it's pro- maybe one of the easier things to to start with. I have no idea how. Uh, um, but like obviously, other examples you gave in your talk were like the Geiger counter, and mm-hmm. that's I could see, you know I could understand a real use case there as to why people would invest time and money wanting to develop that because it's literally about uh you know kind of saving their lives and knowing that they're getting the correct information Uh, other example being um crypto hardware wallets uh Mm -hmm. you know people willing to donate money to funds to for people to develop those because they're gonna it's about making sure they could secure their cryptocurrency in Mm -hmm. in a in a trustless way so yeah what do you think about uh Hardware. I know you don't work on the Monero hardware wallet. Uh, I haven't really been following that too closely. Maybe we'll have some separate show on that at some time. Uh, and hardware wallets in general in cryptocurrency, are any of them truly open source, open hardware, open software? I mean, we have a lot of different um, open hardware um, um, available in general, but in the in the landscape of cryptography, it gets a little bit complicated because usually um, you have the, the problem that you need a secure element um, and you don't need it because one example, and maybe this is the, the most uh, tangible example, is the Trezor um, hardware wallet. So Trezor is, for example, not using a secure element. And this is why um, it got like heavily attacked recently also because it's like um, theoretically like easier to, to um, extract keys remotely and so on. Um, but at the same time, I think uh, Trezor made a really, really good example of, of how um, open source hardware should work. They made also very good, um, they have very good software. So the, the, the firmware is, uh, is amazing. They're also open sourcing everything. So I think this is a, um, like from the open source um, direction or open source hardware direction, the most open as you would get it. At the same time, like looking at Trezor, there are elements which you cannot verify. So you don't know what's actually happening with them. So the, the MCU of the, of the, of the Trezor, you cannot, um, really control if something else is running there. I mean, you you can, it's like very unlikely that something else is running there, but um, this is as good as it gets, I would say. At the current moment, the transfer is really as good as it gets. Um, maybe in comparison, um, a very different example is, is, for example, the Ledger. The Ledger is a completely closed device in a way. You can, of course, open it and see what's actually happening, but it's like a, has a very different concept of, 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 of open source. You, you don't get the schematics, you cannot really reproduce it. So if you would be like super paranoid, but you would still want to use the the, um, the Trezor. You could order the individual parts of the Trezor, rebuild the Trezor, and run the Trezor firmware on it. So that's that's something which I personally find cool as uh, being also a little bit paranoid, but also like knowing that this is actually happening and we are surveilled. This is a very cool way that um, I could actually, for example, um, source the, the um, individual parts from from somewhere else and like um, rebuild my own uh, Trezor. This is something which I think is a very good um, and interesting uh, value proposition also of the. Of the of the product, and I think this is in general something that um, that should be always like taken into account when um, designing products, like to make sure um, that um, they can be actually reproduced by people and that they can be verified. And this is a very problematic topic, though, because you can just you cannot verify everything. I mean, there's a lot of um, mistrust in this whole system, and even looking at the cryptographic curves in use, we can be um, much more 
critical on what's actually happening out there. We saw that there's a lot of possible attacks through randomness. I mean, randomness being like, there's no absolute randomness, but also especially in like, in like hardware, it gets like interesting where are you sourcing the randomness and so on. So there's a, there's a lot of challenges that you have to solve if you want to really produce and, 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 and run a, um, and uh, produce a successful product. Um, especially, it's interesting also to look at that um, uh, like uh, Ledger is, for example, very successful, although it's like not open hardware. So I would say like success is not necessarily dependent on the on the openness of the product. But also, if you look at um, how much money uh, um, Ledger had and how much they are putting into marketing, it's like interesting to see how these numbers always convert. So they have like marketing directly converts to to um, sold units, which is a little bit sad because. Um, um, and maybe this is also like referring here back to Monero because Monero also doesn't have this huge marketing budget, but still, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, incredible how many people still know and, and already know about Monero, although it, it doesn't do such insane marketing as, as other projects in this context. I don't want to uh, uh, name them, but you know what I'm talking about. So this yeah. is, this is of course a thing, like this is the, the right thing to do. Would you like to open source it to open hardware, to make open hardware available? As Monero would be, would be the right thing to do, you know, but people don't see that. People mm -hmm. uh, um, affected by marketing, so to say. Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is a good segue. Um, <laughs> so we're we're sponsored by Cake Wallet, which I think um, is is kind of a good because uh, you know talking about the most ideal. So obviously the most ideal solution being you know running your uh, open source hardware wallet using open source software uh, where you can verify everything. Uh, so obviously uh, that's not something that everybody is capable of doing. Uh, Cake Wallet, we highly recommend on this show. So the, the I'm sure as you know, the iOS app itself is open source. Uh, it's been vetted by the community. Um, it's trusted. Um, and so, yeah, a, a nice, easy, convenient way of getting, you know, very high security uh, with very little work is to run iOS uh, cake on your on your smartphone, on your Apple phone. Um, you know, maybe you want to, you know, if you're storing many, many Monero, uh, you know, maybe you want to store it on cold storage or something else. Uh, but I certainly recommend it as being the the kind of. Uh, most ideal way to get into Monero, to hold your Monero, spend your Monero, uh, and it, it's it's you know doing a great job. Our second sponsor is XMR.to, which I'm sure you're familiar with as well, Matez. Uh, so they're basically uh, a nice bridge from Monero to the Bitcoin world. So one of the issues being liquidity with Monero. Well, now if you're storing your Monero on your Cake wallet on your Apple phone, you can seamlessly spend it wherever Monero, uh, wherever Bitcoin <coughs> is accepted by sending it through XMR.to, which is integrated into Cake. So th those are our two sponsors, and I think they do segue nicely into what we were just talking about. Um, do where do you think we'll ever get to the point where I will be running, you know, open source Cake on you know my open source cell phone hardware? Like, because I feel like that's the the ideal. Obviously, open source hardware wallet uh, is nice, but I think in terms of user experience, and we're talking about these being factors, the greatest user experience would be um, the current one of running uh, a wallet on your phone, the one device that you already carry around every day, but doing it in a very reliable, secure way, so you know that the hardware hasn't been tampered with. So we're we're kind of there with software. Um, 
do you think we ever get to that that point? So I know it's, purism yeah. tried to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're still trying to do it, but I think um, uh, purism is a very good example. So the, the the product release cycles are very different uh, that people are used to in open hardware. So if we look at purism, I'm not sure if everyone knows what it is. It's this kind of company that, that um, tries to uh, create like kill switches also on the on the uh, on the Linux uh, machines and also has this kind of um, um, open source hardware phone. Although like, I mean, you cannot really verify all elements of it, but it's 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 in my opinion a really interesting pro uh, project. The problem that um, you see with with these products is that people are used to this kind of product cycles that you get something which is like done. But in open hardware, it's like different. It's it's, it's much more versioned. So you see this also in purism. So you have like, for example, I think like um, now six or five or six different um, steps of the like patches basically of the of the phone. So the phone will change. It's now very um, thick, and it will be like um, getting a little bit thinner, and so it's like optimized. So in a, in a way, this is criticized a lot often because um, that means in a way, of course, you you, you have to um, you are becoming this kind of a, a, a tester for this kind of technologies in a way. Yeah? But people should be aware of it. And also, like the, the, in my opinion, and also the purism will is now not a, a final product, so it will evolve over time. But what I like about it is, is that people um, people are starting to to understand that Linux on the on the phone doesn't make sense. And I think like purism is uh, and and uh, and a few other Linux uh, phone projects that are out there. So there's um, also like Pine Phone is out. There's a lot lot of different Linux based phone projects out there. Um, they're really doing a really great step in the right direction. So it's like um, that, that means like challenging Android and iOS as the, the main dominating uh, um, operating systems. I think like um, it's really insane like how many people are using these kind of operating systems. And still we have the problem then again of, of convenience. So it's like of course more convenient because Apple has a lot of like R&D money to, to create a very nice user interface and make sure that there's like at, at least this like last step is like done. Although they, they already um, had a few problems with like um, creating like um, uh, security updates in time. So this is a big problem with Apple, for example, but um, uh, still the user interface appears nice and, and it, it's, it, everything is seamless and so on. So this is, this is the, the question. It's always this, this kind of um, um, security, uh, or, uh, security um, versus convenience problem that we are still facing. And I think it will take a few more years, but also I think like people should be, should be in a way um, okay with like using um, not so convenient systems. Mm -hmm. There's actually a very nice term that a um, colleague recently brought up, uh, Paul Gardner, Stephen, he was talking about this, this digital winter that might come. So let's say if there's an economic meltdown or production of technology stops because of one reason or the other, like alien attacks or whatnot, could, could all happen. Um, I mean, possibly not, but let's, let's say economic meltdown, that's more reasonable. Then um, we might um, face the situation as, as mankind to, to have to repurpose devices and in order to have our communication infrastructure up and running. And this is an interesting thing. So we need to learn a lot of, of how to use this kind of devices. We need to know how to repurpose them. We need to know how to create all these kind of infrastructures which, which are now there, which we are using and which we don't know anything about and which we don't control. So that's also one reason to... Uh, um, learn all these kind of things around us in order to be able to survive specific situations that could happen in the future. Mm -hmm. Economic meltdown being like very reasonable one, in my opinion, that could happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very uh, real thing to consider. Like you said, I mean, people are so used to 
uh, their current black box devices that they have no idea how to open up and look at and tinker with. And I mean, even cars and, you know, everything. Uh, mm -hmm. Nobody really knows how to fix anything or understands how things work anymore. Um, you had mentioned uh, before we got on the show that you might want to mention a project that you're working on. Uh, yeah, so kind of relate to this. Yes, so currently I'm working with um, MyMonero uh, on the open firmware initiative. So we're looking um, at specific implementation. We're trying to help that um, Monero gets more distributed around um, current existing hardware that we have around there. So um, sadly, the adoption of Monero into into a lot of like um, um, wallet hardware wallets is like really stagnating. I think it's partly because of the of the uh, crypto winter and, uh, and because people are thinking twice if they really want to implement a new um, um, currency into their hardware. At the same time, um, it's usually not a focus of them and they're mainly focused around integrating like easier systems, which are like usually based on Bitcoin or Ethereum or some, some things which are, and technologies which are easier to be integrated. So we are currently looking into, into um, making um, Monero more available to, to, to different hardware projects. So in case some hardware manufacturers are watching, uh, get in contact with me or Endogenic and uh, we are looking we will. Uh, we are glad to talk about this. No, because I know, like Purism, at one point was talking about integrating Monero into the hardware. So, would they use something like this that you guys are developing potentially? Um, no, no. This is this is more of a um, basically um, because it's a Linux. Um, you could, you can actually run the Monero uh, GUI um, on the on the Purism phone. This is not related to this. Um, um, okay. Here, in this specific regard, we're looking more into actually um, existing um, um, configurations of hardware, existing hardware wallet, like Trezor, for example, or Ledger, or what, what not. There's a lot of um, proprietary hardware out there. It's mostly not open, but mm -hmm. um, uh, some are open and some are more um, easy to talk with, some are not. So it's, it's an interesting project that we started recently, and we are looking into, into getting Monero more adopted in this regards. But like, also, it would be good to see, to see more um, Monero GUI um, um, implementations and ins installations. So um, I'm not sure what is the status of this Purism, um, uh, Monero on Purism, but um, I think it's actually, it's possible to install it for sure, but I, I think it was more about the App Store that is like implemented in the App Store, to be honest. But I'm okay. not the best person to ask in this regard because I don't own a Purism phone. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, we, uh, I think we pretty much covered it. Uh, I guess my last question would be is, you know, what, what are you most excited about in Monero right now? Uh, um, yeah, also, we didn't, we didn't talk about the uh, 36C3 Oh, I'm all, sorry. Let's <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, we got to mention that. All right. Yeah, um, mention. I mean, just, just because, because it was the title of the well, it was. Uh, <laughs> we should definitely show, mention that. We, we should briefly maybe talk about it. And, we, uh, we can keep it short. Also, yeah, you want to explain what it? My my understanding is it's basically uh, what sounded really cool is a, a European version of DefCon, kind of even more purist than what they do. Um, um, is, it, is it longer standing than DefCon? Um, it? It's how long is DefCon actually in existence? Uh, I don't know. I don't know yeah, so, I don't know. it's been so that, uh -huh. it, it's been around for a while. Yeah, the, um, so the, the, the CCC or the 36C3, which is always like the year, so it exists since 36 years. So it's, that's pretty long in my opinion. And that's this, uh, an, an annual conference of the Chaos Computer Club. So the Chaos Computer Club is a kind of an old school like hacker organization that um, but also does like policy and like did a lot of um, um, uh, important work and still does a lot of important work. Uh, and um, at this um, event around yeah, almost 20,000 people gather for um, a few days in Leipzig in Germany. It's from the 27th uh, December to the 30th of December. 
And um, it started actually in 2016 that Monero was actually active there, like not that big as now, but um, it started uh, with a small white crypto table. I still have some some pictures here to show actually how this how this looked. So this was the were any other cryptos active? Crypto um, there was actually some Bitcoin um, assembly, I guess. But um, uh, but um, so there's the proof that Fluffy was also there. Ah. It's really <laughs> nice, a nice um, uh, image of that. And um, it was super small, so we, we had like um, 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 workshops and so on. And um, basically in 2017, it, it was super large and was growing very large. But then also there was this ICO hype. So the whole uh, institution and the whole Congress was a little bit pissed because there was a lot of like ICO shilling uh, on the stage happening. Ah. So um, we decided last year, uh, so Ryder and Monero are organizing this now together, or Ryder and Monero communities, it's a lot of more people involved, but this is, uh, I would say, the driving force in it. Um, decided last year to, to, to start a larger cluster. So we're doing a, a sort of cluster, which is called uh, like that because it's, um, it's not only um, a Monero and Dry, it's like more assemblies that are gathering and um, it's a lot of uh, assemblies that are in the, in the field of open hardware. So last year we had, um, for example, um, Apertas Open Source Cinema, so the camera project was there. We had uh, Paralelic Polis, um, I'm also um, an important institution in this regard uh, in crypto anarchy. We had a group which called, was called Swiss Crypto Economics also joining us with FOSS Asia, the Oshawa, the Open Society Association there, and Monero and Riot. And we had a stage where uh, Rera was um, also emceeing. So it was a beautifully done, great event last year. And we are making it even a little bit bigger this year and growing this. And for us, it's important to have this kind of a regular thing that happens now every year. So um, what's really nice is to, to, to meet um, some of the people that want to be in public for, or that want to be seen or that you can meet. Uh, in uh, uh, around the Monero project, so that's that's always a good thing. So it's a lot of um, nice events happening there. So for example, last year we also a workshop um, which was called um, uh, Monero from Kids for Kids. So it was like a Monero for Kids workshop in the in the as part of the um, uh, Youth Hack Day. So that was a pretty nice one. Um, there's also a lot of, of documentation online um, because there's a um, uh, a wiki page also on a whole system on the on the Tiger Get Monero org website. Um, maybe we can, uh, I mean, this is on my Twitter and, 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 and if someone is interested and hears this, you can possibly find this. There's also a CCS running for it currently and there's um, a lot of people like involved in it. We have also this kind of um, regular meetings on IRC. Um, where we're yeah, we'll, po about we'll post it all in our show notes. Yeah, um, sure. Very cool. Yeah, I would, I would love to attend. I don't know if I could swing it during that time between uh, Christmas and New Year's. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm very tempted to though. Uh, so wait, is a, is a schedule set then too? Um, there's still? a there's a fr um, there's a conference management system, and we have a stage, and we have like um, we accept like um, um, call uh, calls for workshops and talks um, in this FRAP system. It's on and on frap.riot.at. We possibly have to post this as well because I'm not sure if everyone can can uh, actually type my my bad English into into, into words. So um, yeah, and um, basically we have a, a different track. So there's one open hardware track, and we. have we are um, framing the Monero-related things and the financial privacy with Monero, for and with Monero. So there are, uh, we expect a lot of uh, Monero-related uh, talks, hopefully. Then there will be like Namecoin, of course, also, again, having a few talks. Um, uh, hopefully, also a lot of open hardware and Monero-related talks. Let's see what that, how that turns out. But also, possibly, um, other talks which are not necessarily directly linked to Monero, but which are... Um, Linked with like um, the larger scope of like privacy and anonymity. So um, at the CCC and at the um, 363, there will be a lot of other projects as well. So you have usually Tor project there, Tails project there. So all these kind of privacy and anonymity projects will be there anyway. 
So we are also opening up the stage for, for those projects. So we have a con conference man management system for that. And um, yeah, it's on three days and um, there will, I think currently it's only Rera I'm seeing. So he will, uh, he has to, to, to live until then. So we have to make sure that he stays awake and, 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 and put off and also possibly a, a, a backup moderator. But I think like um, as Rera did such a great um, um, impression last year, even we, we heard from so many people that it was so amazing. I'm really happy to, to, to see this uh, whole thing even growing this year. So that there's around like 150 seats, so it will be like rather large. And yeah, I think it's, a, it's a, very, a very strong indicator. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, you know, when I went to DEF CON, obviously I was very uh, impressed by that, uh, the, the Monero Village. Yes. Um, and it shows that, you know, uh, it's being embraced by the hacker community. Uh, didn't see any other cryptos there that I know of. And, you know, uh, the village was kind of very uh pure to to the ideals of the of the hacker conference and it's exciting to see it now at these other conferences and like you said it's been at these other conferences so i think that's a very strong indicator that the monero project is doing something right in terms of um actually living up to the ideals of being a true open source project mm -hmm. um, because Definitely. it's embraced by these people that actually understand those ideals so i i that excites me more than anything when you look at what's kind of happening in the in the crypto space and trying to figure out is Monero on the right track is when you see, uh, you know, the the brain power, uh, the smart people that understand this stuff actually focusing on it as a technology and accepting it. Definitely. Amazing, right, yeah. <laughs> Any, uh, anything else you want to say about it? We'll, we'll post all the links. Uh, you, yeah. you send, I think you send us most of them, but we'll make sure after the show as well. Super, super. Uh, yeah, I'm a little bit tired already. Sorry if I was like, like maybe not so so precise on some of the things, but it has been a long day also. Yeah, and let me know if you think of anything else. I can mention it in another show or Definitely. Uh, whatever we could do to help support it. Uh, we'd love to go. I don't know if we could pull that move. Um, you should, but... you should. We're expecting you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm almost convinced. All right, Matthias, it was great seeing you. Like I said, you know, uh, when we started this off offline, uh, it's you know, it's always great meeting you in person. We've met a few times. Um, uh, thanks for coming on. I'm glad we we're finally able to make this happen. For those of you who are who are just learning about Matthias now, I mean, he's uh, obviously from you know, he's a very prolific, uh, intelligent crypto anarchist that really understands this stuff. And uh, it's exciting to be a part of an open source project that he's enthusiastic about. Uh, thanks again, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Amazing. All right, buddy. We'll talk. Later.